We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime and Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire and OneBet. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter, at Overtime Ireland, and I'm joined as always by my co-host here, it is Sean Siegel. Sean, we had a, a really fun show last week where we talked about a guillotine league we were involved in, lots of positive feedback on it. We told the people after our recap show that came out on Monday that we would give them an update today as to how it went. We were hoping to hang on on Monday Night Football, Sean, we did not hang on, we missed the cut by two points. So we'll talk a little bit about that today and we'll use some of the players that were involved in making us miss the cut to talk about Monday Night Football. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Colts coaching situation and how things have changed there. And then we'll have some other fun topics as we move through the show, looking at some wide receivers who maybe we said not to draft and that has been proven correct. And maybe one wide receiver that we said not to draft who is is looking pretty, pretty good here as we enter week 10 of the NFL season. Sean, the only word we can say is that we are we're devastated that we we have got chopped here in the guillotine league we are we are this was so much fun and as we mentioned last week it was so much fun because we made it through if you get chopped not as much fun we're out of the contest now the hard decision that we had to make was Tua versus kyler murray and we made the wrong one thinking that that cardinals seahawks game would have shootout potential it did have some shootout potential but when you have Robbie Anderson, who is not good <laughs> and should not have been added, the, the Cardinals are in this kind of weird environment where they continue to add players who are washed up and maybe have had some character issues on the previous team. And not surprisingly, Colin, that doesn't work particularly well. You have A.J. Green out there looking like the oldest, slowest man to have ever played in an NFL game. I mean, you go back to some of the footage from 60, 70 years ago, and you've got the guys out there who are 40. That's one of the things that's always kind of funny is you have Tom Brady at 45. You think about uh, what Brett Favre looked at at 38, 39, where he you know, could have easily passed for 60. You have some of these guys from 60, 70 years ago where, I mean, they could have passed for 80, and none of them look like A.J. Green out there running around on a football field. Robbie Anderson, some struggles in this game. Kyler, again, not really pushing through to create the long runs, taking the 
the chunks and then getting down. We mentioned on Sunday night slash Monday morning that you can understand him trying to stay healthy, but they just, they have to get more out of these different pieces. You think back on this and how close it was. We get chopped because of the final reception that Chris Olave makes at the end of that game, which is the way fantasy football works, and which is one of the reasons why Monday night football is much wa- must watch and so much fun because you have those games that come down to the very final garbage time possession. There would be no reason to watch the Saints in the fourth quarter after what they had done throughout that game if not for the fact that you might or might not get chopped, you might or might not win your league. But you see that play and you think back to all of the snaps that Kyler Murray dropped in the course of their game. <laughs> and you're thinking, just hold on to the ball. Anyway, a wonderful performance last night by the Baltimore Ravens defense. In my article yesterday, I referenced a few pieces from the advanced team stat tool. And I just, I get more and more obsessed with this all the time column. It's got some crazy stuff in there. I had mentioned that the Ravens came into the week ranked number one in stuff percentage, number two in tackle for loss, and number two in boom percentage allowed their run defense completely and totally shut down Alvin Kamara last night. They really did. In terms of how this one played out, final score 27 13. That probably is a little bit flattering even for the new orleans saints at that point um a really dominant performance you mentioned the defensive side of the game really as well they as you would expect with the ravens team they really engaged the run game and they kind of both lines of scrimmage they were out physical the new orleans saints and this one kamara just the nine rush attempts 30 yards as a team they only had 48 combined yards on 15 carries on the ground and then you know there wasn't a lot to be done through the air but four targets only going kamara's way i thought that was some going into the game i thought that was a way that they might get kamara involved more than trying to do it in the run game and then get him more of those targets just the four targets three receptions 32 yards for him a weird game too like even mentioning the score line being probably flattering on the sense the the touchdown they do get in the fourth quarter is a, a 41 yard pass to Jawan johnson who i i was talking to you sean before we started recording and just a bizarre play if you haven't seen it go and check it out basically um seems like he's potentially out of bounds defender doesn't want to hit him just lets him run 41 yards for a touchdown the bright spot here though for the saints is unfortunately for us sean's chris Olavi. nine targets again for him six receptions 71 yards he continues to look really really good in his rookie season i've been very very impressed with him but the saints are in a situation where it's going to be some weeks like this my concern is with the saints they held on to drew Brees and his contract for a long time this could be the blueprint for what we see with the green bay packers for a couple of seasons which I'm, I'm hoping that isn't the case moving forward after we pass on from Aaron Rodgers but Sean a very business-like performance I think we would say from Lamar Jackson just the 12 completions of 22 attempts 133 yards one touchdown pass that did go to Isaiah likely he had five targets but that was his only catch for 24 yards on that play no wide receiver or pass catcher for Baltimore had more than two receptions that was just James Prochet and Kenyon Drake had two receptions for 16 yards on two targets and the story of this was really Kenyon Drake who I had kind of written off and left in the dust a little bit Sean but he had 24 carries for 93 yards and two touchdowns and looked pretty looked pretty good doing it as well what were some of your takeaways from Monday Night Football yeah I like the way that Drake ran he only averages 3.9 yards per carry but some of those are down and close there were two or three big losses 
And there are big losses in down and distance situations where more or less the Ravens are only trying to run some clock. You know that that play is coming. They toss to him. He gets swarmed under five or six yards behind the line of scrimmage. You take those plays out and looks better. There were a ton of plays in this game where he slices through the line for a seven, eight yard gain. That's what the Baltimore Ravens need. That's what, I mean, you're expecting and hoping to get when you draft a J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins, a little bit more chance to then beat the defender at the second level and go for 60 or 70 yards. But this is just a, a purely plus game here for Kenyon Drake. I had joked yesterday that actually had him going in a couple of places, and I didn't think that was something that I would ever say. I looked up after the game, and a little bit disappointing to remember that the big main event that Ben and I have, it was actually Justice Hill and not Drake. Justice Hill goes four for 11. It was in our FFPC Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League that we had Drake going. So that's good. And Drake is a possible trade candidate, but probably a guy we will lean on a little bit with Saquon Barkley as we try and win that contest this year. So Drake's someone now who looks good as you go forward. I think that when you consider the games he's had, he's had three big weeks now recently that he probably has cemented himself in this role. There'll be a little bit of pressure from Gus Edwards when he's healthy. I do think that Dobbins probably comes back and makes a push at the fantasy playoffs. You hope for that if he's on a best ball team. You hope for that if you still have him stashed. But Drake looking very good here. You mentioned Isaiah Likely. The five targets, only one reception. Luckily, it does go for a touchdown. There was another chance here for him to have a big play and Jackson misses him badly, likely also commits a drop that you don't really want to see. In writing about that game yesterday, I mentioned that the big difference between Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, other than the obvious, which is that Andrews is a superstar and Likely is a mid-round rookie who is hoping to kind of claw his way into the league, is that Andrews had been targeted relentlessly downfield. He'd been targeted relentlessly overall, obviously, but even with that, his target per route leading the position, his target depth was still about 11 yards down the field. He and Kyle Pitts, who has not been able to take advantage of it in any way, shape, or form, are the only two high-profile tight ends who are above 10 in terms of their average target depth. Likely more of an underneath option down there around 7 yards. That should be great for you from a floor perspective. Should give you a solid catch rate. That type of of element if you're there from a desperation perspective we really saw the opposite of that where i mean 20 percent catch rate obviously is not good it doesn't give you the floor but the touchdown bails out the performance when you look at it though within the context of the rest of this offense and you know the shutout for duvernay shot he catches one for five yards the rest of these guys are not legitimate nfl players demarcus robinson should not be on a roster deshaun jackson actually flashed a little bit when he goes in there and catches a 16 yard pass that's not what you're hoping to be the case. With Bateman now out, this team is going to be searching for some answers. Likely a guy who I do think will factor in even when Mark Andrews comes back. This team, with the way that the defense looked, is going to be a competitor in the AFC. You think about the Titans and how they were able to slow down the Chiefs, the Jets and how they were able to slow down the Bills, and now questions about Josh Allen's health. It's not a foregone conclusion that the offensively oriented teams are going to run away with it here in the AFC. They're still pretty solid favorites. We saw just how much has to go right for a team like the Titans who can't move the ball. 
the Ravens sort of the next evolution forward from that, where obviously you have Lamar Jackson and even in a game where he can't really go get it going as a passer, he's able to convert those third downs with the 82 rushing yards. This team, I think will be interesting in a competitive AFC North going forward. The Browns coming off of that big win against the Bengals, the Bengals bouncing back by shellacking the Carolina Panthers. The Steelers now having a little bit of a softer stretch for Kenny Pickett to get it going. I think this is going to be a very fun division to follow the rest of the season and how some of those internal battles go is going to have a large influence on seeding in the AFC and how easy or difficult the paths are for some of the favorites. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sean, moving now into the big story, I guess, of Monday was the situation with the Indianapolis Colts firing Frank Reich as their head coach, which I think he's a, a little bit harshly done by based on how he's done there with, in my opinion, limited resources. I guess, you know, GM and owner will probably say that they've, you know, paid a lot of money to acquire quarterbacks, to get quarterbacks. I think maybe the targets that were involved there, unless Frank Reich is the one specifically wanting those guys and really pushed for it maybe then there is more reason to move on from him but i think it's been a, a tough situation matt ryan has severely on well if you're going on sean's approximation of what he was going to do this season he has performed about where sean had thought but uh, from what the colts would have hoped he has severely underperformed this season so we have a quarterback change at the moment but he is going to be replaced by jeff saturday who doesn't have any coaching experience in the nfl at this point and in a very unusual move, he will be kind of leading the team here as the interim coach. Sean, what was your thoughts on Frank Reich, I guess, and then on the, the move that was made by um, Ersi and the Colts organization moving forward here? You have all kinds of hilariousness that comes out of this development. <laughs> and kind of in a peripheral direction or a parallel and removed direction, I was, I kind of randomly came across some Washington commanders articles laughing about the firing, laughing about the hiring of Jeff Saturday and claiming that they now had won the Carson Wentz trade. And I think that's not the way that it works. You guys are the people who paid for someone who your team only got going again. They both lost. Let's be clear. They they both definitely have lost this trade. There will be no winner. It's going to winner. Well, this trade Perhaps the reason that Frank Reich is fired 
and not Ballard, the GM. Because he can say that Reich one of these guys, I was able to get out of this other guy who's absolutely terrible and get us this draft ammunition back. Isn't that a magical trade? I mean, that trade was one of those where if you're in a dynasty league and a trade that lopsided happens, I mean, people don't tend to protest trades, even the lopsided ones, but it would be a protest worthy trade. That one might be one where people would break tradition and just say, you know, hold their hands up and it's like, no, this is beyond the pale, right? You can't allow this trade to go through. It's that bad. And for the commanders to feel some glee from this, especially, you know, when they lose another game this week where competent quarterback play, just inserting Sam Howell and the commanders probably win that game. So what you're saying is that uh, they, they traded the commanders some magic beans? <laughs> the NFL at the quarterback position, it is the whole thing, right? You have a game on Sunday night where Patrick Mahomes is way off as a passer and has to fight through. I think you see the leadership and you see the determination. You see the reason why Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are on such different trajectories right now. Rodgers actually ran a couple times in that game against Detroit. He seemed to have a little bit of a fire under him where he was trying to make some plays too, as opposed to protect himself, which especially as an old quarterback makes sense. There are some plays where you kind of would prefer Patrick Mahomes protect himself. There was a play, and as a Joe Burrow fantasy manager, you love to see it because the other option is probably Joe Mixon going in for his sixth touchdown. I think I misspoke on the Sunday night pod where I said that the Tyler Boyd non-touchdown call led to another touchdown for Mixon. That actually led to a Joe Burrow sneak where that's great because it's six points instead of four. Now you're obviously playing Tyler Boyd a few places too, and you're Disappointed to not get that touchdown, but if you have some good Joe Burrow exposure from a fantasy perspective, you're happy. From a reality perspective, why are you having the franchise push himself into a pile of bodies? Patrick Mahomes injured on a play like that a couple years ago, and it really hurt the Chiefs' season. They perhaps would have another Super Bowl win if that weren't the case. Getting back to this idea of Mahomes, though, he struggles through. He throws 68 passes. Malik Willis completes five, and the Titans barely lose. I mean, you can make an argument that that's the greatest defensive performance in a loss in regular season NFL history. You can also argue that if the Titans had made some tiny adjustments to their offseason plan to not just maybe have a better quarterback, obviously Ryan Tannehill is someone who has been heavily criticized, but all you have to do is actually put in the backup to see that Ryan Tannehill is actually quite good. Not a star, not someone who's going to carry you, but a solid, competent NFL quarterback. You know, you saw some plays in the Atlanta Falcons game this past weekend that emphasized again, you know, why he would have been able to win that job from Mariota. And Mariota's the guy we love. So it's disappointing to see some of those plays. But you have that and you have the pressure on these guys to work through and to get that quarterback. You're going to make some mistakes, but you can't continue to make the same types of mistakes and to hurt your team over the long term. You understand why they did it, but you watch what Jacoby Brissett is doing with the Cleveland Browns right now, and it's easy to think that if the Colts had just stuck with him, they would actually be a powerhouse, especially in this AFC South division that is so lacking in overall talent, so lacking in quarterback play. But Colin, the other thing that we do have to discuss there is this hiring of someone with no coaching experience. 
you can understand why they don't want to hire someone from within the organization, although that does help you from a continuity perspective. It's always a little bit uncomfortable, I think, when the coaches fire and someone else is promoted. You wonder, you know, how much undermining was going on that you you have a firing and now someone else gets elevated. You don't really want to create an environment within your organization where people benefit from their bosses being fired. At the same time, it's a real punch in the gut to all of the people who have worked in the NFL and the coaches who are working hard now want to get back in. You know, we hear all the time about it being an old boys club and people getting all of these different opportunities over and over again and people failing upward. And there is an element to that. And you're saying the people who are currently on the sidelines, I mean, how many quality people could there really be? But that's one of the reasons why you have to have built out a package on so many different people in the sport and be ready to make this kind of move to go with someone without coaching experience it just completely undermines your team the rest of the way you have a long season yet a long time to develop the different players yes it's a former player yes it's someone with experience within the organization that's going to bring a little bit to the table for the players that perhaps bringing in a failed coach who's also a non-player that maybe you know that wouldn't be good from that perspective Jim Marichay also says that he has no fear. So that's also a plus. He's got like some old Goodwill t-shirts. I don't understand what the... Uh... No, he's got no fear. He said that people who have been in and coached before, you know, they, they might have some fear. And he also mentioned that people who are coaches may use analytics. So sounds like Jeff Saturday has promised him he's not going to use analytics either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The funny thing is that if they had just stayed with Matt Ryan, who is completely and totally washed up, they might have made the playoffs. I, the only goal here seems to be to tear the organization down, undermine a lot of people, prove who the power broker is, and then start from scratch next season, which, I mean, you can do that in fantasy football. You can do that in Dynasty. One of the reasons that we talk about perpetual reloading is that if you do it in Dynasty after you've let your team rot then it still takes you forever. But you imagine now having to do that in a real situation where you're dealing with real people, you've let your organization fall apart from the inside. Now you're saying that all of the things that they've done positively, you're going to also throw away here. I mean, the Indianapolis Colts are about to embark on a run of incompetence that matches anything that the Washington Commanders have done, anything that the Jacksonville Jaguars have done. You just feel bad for the people and the fans of Indianapolis, but they did get to have all of those years with Peyton Manning. They did get to have those handful of years with Andrew Luck. There are certainly NFL organizations and NFL fan bases who don't have that in the recent past. I guess we can't feel too bad for them, but I don't know. This is interesting to me because, you know, we love Ted Lasso. It's an interesting story. You have a non soccer coach being asked to do that. A number of the elements there are at least somewhat unrealistic, but you have someone who is a dynamic leader and has won in coaching, has experience leading people in winning games, building programs. So you have the fanciful element of it, but you also have a very real leadership element of it and a winning culture and person element it's one of the reasons that I think it can be tricky when you're making head coaching decisions, say in college sports, and you're trying to figure out, well, do I want the program builder or do I want the 
former player and high-profile assistant coach for Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina, that type of thing. You see both templates work to an extent. But the guys who have done it before have been the head man before or the head woman before. You can have so much more confidence that they can do it because they have done it. And it's just such a different thing to be the number one versus the number two. I'm a big believer in the owner actually taking a lot of interest in what's going on. I think that you hear football people from time to time talking about how if the owner meddles, then your team is going to be terrible. You also see plenty of examples of owners who sit back and let the football people do whatever they want without accountability. And it also works extremely poorly. You have to have the right people in place either way. And I think that having some oversight of it much more guarantees or increases your chances to have the right people in place and for them to be doing it the right way than if you are standing off to the side and not taking any responsibility for it. This is your thing. You own it. It's your business. Your fans want to see you out there getting things done. We had a situation in Miami where perhaps that owner (laughs) was a little bit too aggressive and so they're stripped of their draft picks. But where are we now? Miami has a dynamic head coach. They have star players. They have a rising quarterback who, you know, if we had played him this week, we would have won multiple extra leagues. Things are going in the right direction in part because of the energy there. Ursay trying to do that, it sounds like. And yet I would argue that he's going about it in the wrong direction, which is not a contrarian take in any way, shape, or form. The direction the Colts have gone here is not particularly popular. You know that if you had that account on Twitter, Sean, it'd be FF underscore consensus rather than <laughs> contrarian. But uh, if people haven't checked out the Jim Mercy interview from uh, yesterday, do check that out. He he also mentioned because he hasn't coached that Jeff Saturday doesn't have the fear. I'm just looking up the quote to make sure I get it right. But he says that coaches that have coached in the past often turn towards analytics for their decision making. So I don't know even where the rest of that went. He also talked about not knowing how to make sausage, but he knows how to build a football team. So there's there's lots of interesting quotes in there that you might want to ch- check out and have some fun while doing so. Sean, I'm going to ask you now, though, we're going to go through three players. Somebody who we... Um, I don't think you should be playing Mad Libs when you're hiring NFL head coaches and giving interviews about that. It's not a good look. It's definitely not a good look. <laughs> The uh, the players here that we're going to jump into, though, we do have Amari Cooper, Sean, who we were not in on this year, and the other two players we weren't in on either, but Cooper has certainly been on a strong run. But we're going to start off with the lowest performing so far. That is Alan Robinson, who was quite popular after moving from the Chicago Bears to the LA Rams. In that situation, he has caught 25 passes this season so far, just under 250 yards, has two touchdowns, but it has been a, an extremely disappointing season so far for drafters off Allen Robinson next up though is linked with the Colts that is Michael Pittman so far though Pittman does have 54 receptions he has 550 yards just the one touchdown going his way he did have one game this season with 13 receptions he had a nine reception game as well both of those two games combined were were big days for him the the nine reception game against the Texans 121 yards one touchdown in that one and then the 13 reception game 134 yards and that so two big games but outside of that it has been very very quiet for for Pittman as well but Amari Cooper has been very consistent throughout he hasn't hit the reception numbers you know on a weekly basis really that we've seen there from Pittman but the yardage totals and also 
the uh the, the touchdowns are there so 39 receptions from 553 yards and then the five touchdowns I, i've been very impressed sean with with what cooper has done in that offense what are some of your thoughts i think we can both probably say that alan robinson has not been a hit so far this season and there's not a huge amount i guess probably to add to that unless you want to go into it. but Pittman versus cooper i think is is an interesting discussion yeah so the segue here or the connection here the reason that we thought about it for the show was that this move would appear to crush in the announcement that they are going to continue to go with sam yeah it would appear to crush Pittman, who outside of those two big games has struggled he's now averaging below 15 points per game he has three consecutive finishes outside the wide receiver two tier didn't necessarily think that matt ryan was going to get benched this season but it was at least a possibility and it factored into the thesis for him so these are three guys that we felt were overdrafted this season we have two hits one miss the miss by a pretty decent margin as Amari Cooper, as you mentioned, is having a good season. So the overall philosophy here, though, is to be concerned about players who are drafted at the very top end of their range of outcomes, or in the case of Robinson and Cooper, players who appear to be declining and have peripherals that are disturbing in Cooper's case and Alan Lazard's case, you don't have to look up peripherals. You can just look at any of his different numbers. You can watch him play a game and know that not necessarily that he's done because, again, players do bounce back. They go through stretches where maybe the motivation isn't there. But for me, it's difficult to give an excuse to someone that the reason they were bad is that they were also lazy and that they didn't give their all for a team. That, to me, is not something that I want to get behind. It's also something I think is a red flag, even if you don't really care about it because it's not something where – you're actually coaching this player or they're an actual teammate. It's just on paper. I still think that you have to be a little bit worried about that. And the idea that Matthew Stafford is just going to simply elevate everybody, probably not fair to him, even though he has elevated a number of players in the past, it was a little bit odd to me that you have a situation where Robert Woods, who's playing at a much higher level in terms of the last several years, and Allen Robinson is the guy they decide to get rid of. That one I think was pretty clear cut except for once you start to get all of the raves out of training camp, I think that you have to give the football people and the people who watch these practices, the beat writers who are familiar with covering football, a little bit of credit for having some insight. And so you're going to have to hedge your bets a little bit, but we would have him, you know, still several rounds below ADP. It turns out that, you know, really having him on your roster at all was going to be a killer Pittman different because he's a young ascending player and we want to have a lot of exposure to these guys. But one of the things that was surprising to me about his prices is just that it got so high. We're looking at Michael Pittman. He was a good player through his first couple of years and he was a good player in college, but he wasn't a great player. And when you're drafting someone at the two, three turn who hasn't been a great player, that for me is a difficult price. And even if he's young, even if you have this third-year secondary breakout, it's a difficult price because you have so much potential upside in that area. And then the fly-in ointment for him on top of it is that you do have this quarterback risk. One of the parts of the Kyle Pitts thesis that has turned out to, again, be very wrong, as so much of the individual parts of it have been, is the idea that Matt Ryan was actually not in any way helping him, that Matt Ryan is done, and that the numbers suggest that he was done had the good fortune to talk to some 
NFL people who were able to back that observation up with some more data that they had on his arm strength and how it appeared to be falling off the cliff. If you're going to pay that price for a player who needs to take another step and is being propped up by some sort of scouting takes as well, that not that they're not deserved, but all of those things, if they're going to be relevant to you as a fantasy manager, you need to see them come to fruition over a pretty large sample. It's one of the reasons why all of these individual plays on a weekly basis, I think are really interesting because they can give you some context in terms of what's likely to happen the following week, how teams are going to adjust, what plays were so close and might have been made. You look at that on a full season perspective and you want to see it come out in the numbers. And so we didn't have that there. He had this risk. Now, unfortunately, we're in a situation that also carries over and applies to Jonathan Taylor if he were even able to get healthy, which is that this team is going to be so bad that creating any offense, creating any fantasy production for anyone is going to be difficult. I mean, you'd like to think that Taylor, if he can get close to 100%, is so good that he can do a little bit of what Derrick Henry did against the Chiefs in a game where Willis only completes five passes. But some of those elements are going to also be contextual or situational in that once the Chiefs were able to fully diagnose the fact that Henry was the only thing that they needed to account for, they were able to slow him down really to the extent that it was bizarre after the fact to think that the Titans hadn't gone to Henry any more than they did. But after the early portion of that game, Kansas City corralled him pretty effectively. There's never going to be any question going into any game where Taylor plays that he's the only thing you have to account for on the Colts. I don't know that he's going to get too many of these drives where the defense isn't selling out to stop the run, even in a season where we know that defenses are playing things a little bit differently, inviting the run. When you have what the Colts have on offense, you don't need to worry about that too much. Yeah. And even looking back, we're, we're planning to do kind of a, a recap of ADP over the next couple of weeks, but Michael Pittman was the wide receiver nine. Sean, you mentioned the two tree turn. We then have, you know, Amari Cooper, the last of the three drafted in the eighth round at wide receiver 41. So people drafting him have to be very, very pleased at this particular point of the season with how that's playing. Alan Robinson was going in the mid fifth round as wide receiver 18 in the same range as Jalen Waddle, for example. So we will be talking through that on some upcoming shows. But Sean, now we're going to do the the win bet rapid fire kind of recap here and have one player at the end who I'm going to ask you for your thoughts on. You can sign up at WinBet today. You can get yourself a special sports offer. You can bet $100 to win $100. Download the WinBet app now or go to winbet.com. That is W-I-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Sean, running through some of the teams that we didn't talk about, some of the plays, we talked a little bit about this in the recap, but Justin Jefferson gets off to a hot start this week. Another player, though, who got off to a hot start and it really calmed down after that was Devontae Adams. He goes for... 146 yards 10 receptions and two touchdowns in this that's 36.6 ppr points he had 30 points on in the first 20 minutes of this game it looked at that point like this was going to be an all-time day but he only scored an additional five points after that and jacksonville mounted a pretty successful comeback in that one a lot of that comeback and the performance overall by the 
the Jacksonville Jaguars was led by Travis Etienne. He had 109 rushing yards, two touchdowns going his way. Nice to see him get those short yardage touchdowns as well. Two receptions, 17 receiving yards, 26.6 points for him. Christian Kirk continues to look pretty, pretty solid. 21.6 points for him, having a lot of usable weeks so far this season. Eight receptions, one touchdown, 76 yards for him. Sean, the heartbreak this week, though, was for me, the Green Bay Packers. That season's over. We, we have put a fork in that season that is done and dusted. But um, the other part of the disappointing news is the injuries for the Packers. Romeo Dobbs, who we were hoping would start to kind of mount now, uh, you know, a little bit of a run here after his great touchdown catch against the Buffalo Bills. He picks up an injury on his first reception this week and looks like it's going to be a, a multi-week injury. So that's disappointing. DeAndre Swift wasn't used as much as we would like to see when we were talking about week one week two but him and jamal williams continue to split work but he looked pretty sharp on the work that he got there but sean the player that i want to ask you about as i mentioned justin jefferson getting off to a hot start that cooled down but he did finish with 25.5 points the big one here though is tj hawkinson who was traded last week gets involved straight away in tight end premium leagues this week he got 20 and a half points 70 receiving yards nine receptions we have seen him put up some receiving yards numbers with the Lions this year, but we haven't really seen him get the targets or the receptions to go along with it. But as a first game for the Vikings, this has to be a, a pretty positive starting point for TJ Hawkinson. Where where do you see his season going from this point forward versus what we were seeing with him with the Detroit Lions before his trade? It's tricky, right? Because on these players where you have a lot of exposure and a lot of incentive to be right or to have it work out in a particular fashion, you know, to be even keel, to be objective as you watch this. And as you think about how it played out, but I've been a huge Dan Campbell fan. I think everybody is, again, you mentioned the FF consensus that would be the case with what he's done with Detroit and how unlucky they've gotten. It was great to see them get that win and defeat the Packers that probably lets him breathe a little bit easier for a while. It might even be Campbell who in some ways the Colts are trying to emulate with the Jeff Saturday hiring. But this move with TJ Hawkinson, I think is a big mistake for them. And I've said that multiple times. I felt it even more watching the games on Sunday, especially when you don't have Jamison Williams yet. And especially when Deandre Swift is limited the Lions offense is terrible when you have Jerry Goff trying to throw to Amon St. Brown as the only thing that you have there. They needed that extra punch and they had this opportunity to build a dynamic offense with two elite wide receivers, an elite running back, an elite tight end. You can do a lot of things there, including keep Jerry Goff. Now we're into a situation where they, they're going to have to go to a rookie QB. You can't have the level of talent that they're going to have. And not make that move jerry goff continues to look disappointing after a fast start to the season and again a lot of it has to do with the health and the quality of his weapons the more you surround these players with talent the easier it is for them to get things done which is a point that tom brady continues to make all the time and isn't shy about making it even though obviously it speaks to what he thinks his own talent level is and that's a player who many people think is the greatest of all time. So Hawkinson goes to the Vikings and they need him in this game. This is another sort of weird performance from Minnesota where they've had a very good season. And yet 
you've got Kirk Cousins, and anytime that he's not actually throwing these amazing passes to Justin Jefferson, he seems like someone who is closer to that Jerry Goff and even Matt Ryan tier. I was going to say Matt Ryan, yeah. <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll work for a team that has Super Bowl ambitions. They score to start the game, but then this contest has a weird stretch where there are eight consecutive combined punts. Minnesota obviously responsible for four of those. Washington four on the other side with Taylor Heineke. Again, they evidently won the Carson Wentz trade. Then you go into a situation where Washington actually does start scoring, but Minnesota continues to go interception, punt, punt. And you get down to the end of this game, and it looks like they're going to lose to the Washington Commanders, which there's no way around. I mean, that would be a bad, bad loss. You have Justin Jefferson. You have Dalvin Cook. How is the offense so stagnant? Well, they go back to TJ Hawkinson, and he helps carry them down the field on this final drive with three catches, including a key third down conversion that helps seal the win, I would say, in that it was a key part of being able to get that field goal to get the win. He had a 19-yard reception on the opening possession, which intermixed with this fantastic stretch from Jefferson. The commanders appeared to come out not ready to quite take him away. I say that, and on his touchdown, he was totally blanketed a double team on top of that, probably in order. But Hawkinson, a big part of when the Vikings did score, they featured him down the seam, which you like to see that very valuable over the middle of the field area for, in terms of the quality of the target and what it leads to for fantasy, to see him used there, which is something that, it's not that the Lions didn't do it, but you have a lot of these difficult throws to the sideline that Jerry Goff, you would argue, doesn't have either the arm strength or the accuracy to make consistently. You had a lot of balls over the last year and a half where Hawkinson is leaping and flailing, diving attempts at a catch. To have him get these passes down the middle at intermediate depths that looked so easy by comparison, and again, the value for fantasy, I'm optimistic about where this is going to go. But we do want to see the Vikings overall be more explosive before we get too giddy about the fact that maybe now Hawkinson could be not a Travis Kelsey, but maybe he could be a George Kittle. Maybe he could be a Darren Waller type of player. Yeah, and the Vikings are a team who you mentioned kind of the areas of the game where sometimes they go a little bit stagnant and things aren't happening for them. And it, it tends to be a little bit baffling when you have Dalvin Cook, when you have Justin Jefferson. And now, as you, well, obviously Adam Thielen is a player that I think has passed his best but he's still somebody who's a warm body out there on the field like i guess we'll say but then we have tj hawkinson as well now added to the mix I, I think a lot of that has to fall back a little bit on kurt cousins there is sometimes when the the play is is really poor we'll see if he can you know continue to, to elevate those plays i think that this vikings team although they have a really good record and they are comfortably going to win that division i feel like they're a little bit of a a paper tiger at the moment based on on how some of these matches are are going and how they're coming back at the end but um yeah i'm hoping for fantasy goodness out of justin jefferson tj hawkinson and you mentioned how that game turned around as well a really poor interception by tyler heineke as well when they were kind of in control of that match that led to the dalvin cook touchdown but interesting game to go back and watch if you haven't checked out the whole thing but yeah, good to see hawkinson getting involved early and, and hopefully they're going to, to continue to do that moving forward sean that's going to get us to the end of today's show we will be back with another show for you if you're subscribed to the road of his overtime podcast feed it'll come out on thursday evening usa time if you're not subscribed you'll probably get it on friday at some point so i would advise you to subscribe get it as soon as possible 
Again, thank you to WinBet for supporting today's show and, of course, as well with Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over Tomorrow, and you can check all of Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. And until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.